I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. All right, it is the Touch Em All podcast, and boy, Derek Wetmore, do we have a million things to dive into on this episode. Uh, you, you were at Target Field earlier today, and, and I had Derek Falvey on my radio show earlier today, which people can find on the Touch Em All feed. So we should go from, uh, I think, the Paul Molitor extension to the current pitching coach situation post-Neil Allen to takeaways from Molitor and Falvey at the press conference today. So why don't, why don't you start wherever you see fit, and then we can just go from there and clear stuff off our plate. Sure. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up first to the Twins uh, officially announcing Daniel Adler's hiring, and maybe more importantly, I uh, shouldn't say more importantly, as importantly, they hire a guy named Jeremy Zoll from the Dodgers. He's going to be their new minor league ops director. We can definitely talk about that later. But people are going to hear me say that and think like, dude, they just extended the manager and they fired a pitching coach. Why, like, why, why are you hung up on this small little detail? And I'll tell you, it's because I don't think it's a small detail. I think that Falvey and, you know, by extension, Thad Levine – Building out the baseball ops department and sort of this like research and development mentality, I think is a significant development for the twins over the last 12 months and will continue to be for the next couple of months or maybe even ongoing after that as they continue to beef that thing up. I think they're sort of seen as behind the scenes hires and like, oh, you don't see the guys out very often or they don't talk to the media or fans that regularly. But I don't think that that should just be swept under the rug, though the Twins have made a couple of big-time outside hires in that department, and I think that's a pretty important part of today, too. Actually, I'm glad you started with that. Let's let's go down that path for a second sure. here, because I've been, I've been banging on this drum for a number of years, and, and, I, and, and, my, and my opinion on this probably has burned some bridges or severed some relationships with people that work with the Twins throughout the, the, the last several years. I've always thought that the Twins' biggest hindrance and one of their most important self-inflicted wounds as an organization was their inability to look outside the organization at what other teams and other organizations, even outside sports, were doing to get better and to evolve. You know, the Twins, for 30-plus years, had a pipeline of promoting from within and doing things the Twins' way, which was a very specific way of doing things for a long time. It wasn't necessarily an evolving uh, definition of how to build an organization and and for a long time other teams from like the early 2000s when the twins were having success and the other teams were trying to catch up they were building organizations and front offices and scouting departments and analytics departments in a different way and rather than Derek the twins looking across at the Indians or the Cubs or whoever it may be the Tampa Bay Rays and saying you know is our third guy in line, is our fourth guy in line, is our head of this department on par with those positions in other organizations? And the answer was no for a long time, especially during the target field era. The Twins' lack of curiosity about what other organizations were doing was, was really, quite frankly, appalling from the ownership level all the way down. 
And so what I really like about the last 10 to 12 months or so, Jim Polad finally got curious. He brought in one of the smartest up-and-coming front office stars with the Cleveland Indians to run his baseball ops department, Derek Falvey. He brought in the second guy in line with one of the better front offices in baseball, the Texas Rangers, in Thad Levine. You mentioned Daniel Adler, who has worked in his career a lot lot in the NFL. He was an intern with the Patriots 12 years ago. He has put together research systems and analytic systems for the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cleveland Browns. And Jeremy Zoll comes over from the Los Angeles Dodgers, 27 years old, and he's going to head up the Twins uh, farm system. So you're pulling from Indians, Rangers, NFL, Harvard, Dodgers. I like when organizations, and especially sports organizations, which can be very insulated, when they just hire smart people and look to pull ideas from other areas. And so whether this works out or not, I think the process the Twins are abiding by here is a good one. Yeah, get a bunch of smart people in the room, even if they disagree on things, and have them fight about it until a consensus is maybe the wrong word, but until some sort of decision is reached. And I guess that's sort of a theme um, for this podcast because Falvey talked a lot about the importance of that with Molitor, whereas I don't know if you and I speculated about this, Phil. I'm just I'm not remembering any of those conversations, but um, I've had conversations with other people in the media too where we like wondered this summer hey what what do you think that relationship is like you know of course Falvey says he likes Molitor and of course Molitor says he likes his bosses but when that door is closed in the clubhouse after a game and we're waiting to go in there and talk to Molitor talk to the starting pitcher they were in there pretty much every day and what is that is that conversation contentious are they agreeing on everything? Are they sort of just uh, sitting in there so that the media has to wait in the hall for a few more minutes? We always sort of wondered what that relationship was like, and I think both Molitor and Falvey sort of cut open a vein on that front today, uh, talking about the idea of you know, smart or accomplished or competent, whatever the adjective you want to use, these people who've earned the right to have an opinion disagreeing is is a very healthy thing like if you don't agree uh buddy bo shears should be sent out after the game to make room on the roster for the next fresh arm to come up well let's fight about that let's talk about it and i'm just pulling that example at random they didn't mention buddy by name or anything like that but i wouldn't be shocked after hearing things today i wouldn't be shocked if there were some very real roster disagreements as one example that happened throughout the summer and they sort of just hey you got beef let's get it out let's let's talk about it what do you think about this why do you think that and here's what i think um let's work to sort of a consensus so if they're going with that theme and Derek Falvey is sort of the implementer of that theme i think it's nothing but a good thing Uh, whether it's analytics or it's scouting or it's amateur talent acquisition or it's people running the draft or anything like that, I don't think you should have a a system set up where everybody agrees on everything all the time. I think that in the most successful organizations, you've got a bunch of smart people um, or qualified people, whatever the qualifications are, a bunch of qualified people who've earned the right to have an opinion on something maybe doing some battle to get to ultimately the smartest decision. I I think that's what they're going to do with their baseball ops, 
and whether that's major or minor leagues. And I also think that it's what they've started to do on the major league coaching staff. Yeah, I think a, a couple important things to pull from uh, the, the Falvey-Molitor relationship and, and the new three-year contract extension. Molitor made it very clear that he felt like it was collaboration all season, that he wasn't being – his words were exactly, I never felt meddled. He never felt like he was being told what to do or micromanaged. Um, it sounds like everyone but Neil Allen is coming back on that coaching staff, and they've got a list of and they've got a yeah, they, and they've got a list of names to replace Neil Allen, and we'll kind of find out where that goes in the coming days. There's a lot of interesting dominoes that could fall. Like Jim Hickey was just fired by the Tampa Bay Rays, highly regarded pitching coach, but he has a great relationship, obviously, with Joe Madden. Could Chris Basio be on the way out of Chicago? And how long will the Twins wait? I know they have off-season summits, and they have a lot of blueprints they have to put together. Ideally, and you can uh, disagree with me if you want here, Derek, but I think you want your major league pitching coach in the organization as quickly as possible while also being mindful of looking for the best candidate. So that's a tough balance. You know, would you Would you wait to interview somebody on a current team or to get access to somebody on a current team in the playoffs and then be told no? and go to your second or third option, but now you're like into November and you haven't had a chance to lay some groundwork. Uh, I know Falvey told us on our radio show today, I said, how do you quantify the importance of a major league pitching coach knowing that a lot of the development takes place before traditionally those young players rise up through the ranks and get to the major league pitching coach? And he said, well, in a perfect world of what we're trying to build, we want the major league pitching coach to be very hands-on at different stages of that player's development, not just the guy that sits at the end of the developmental journey, you know, but a guy who's really implementing process throughout the organization. And that starts in October for the Twins. So um, I, I guess I'm curious to see where the pitching coach search goes, who they have their eye on. And I am, I guess I am happy to hear just from the Twins' standpoint that Paul Molitor and Derek Falvey seemingly have a pretty darn good relationship. Now, money talks, obviously, and I'm sure ownership. Jim Poled wanted Paul Molitor back. He obviously stood up and wanted Paul Molitor to stay on the staff, uh, to lead the staff in 2017. But um, I I guess I I learned a few interesting things, and I, I didn't really know what their relationship was like either. I guess I assumed that Paul Molitor was... A good collaborator and was was playing nice and and was uh, was evolving his thinking if it needed to be. But he's always been a pretty evolved thinker. He's always been a guy who keeps up with the times and and doesn't fall into the back in my day baseball attitude. Yeah, I mean there is some of that from Molitor. I get that sense every once in a while that he's like a pretty curious guy, and obviously his baseball knowledge is like on another planet from mine and. There's some of this, uh, you know, obviously his his baseball knowledge comes over the course of a lengthy career in the majors, and it's hard not to draw on that sometimes. Um, like, I'm curious to know what he thinks about the way the postseason is unfolding right now with major league teams using, you know, Justin Verlander out of the bullpen, Chris Sale coming in to shut things down, um, how the game has sort of evolved. He seems, to me anyways, just in talking with him in, in media scrums and stuff. He seems pretty open to this kind of stuff, but there is very much a, he's got one foot in the future and one foot in the past kind of, which I guess is ironic because he's a very present minded thinker. So I'm uh, sort of just (laughs) talking in circles with that, I guess. But yeah, I think that was an important thing to have learned is that 
they didn't get up there and lie about now Falvey uses corporate speak all the time, but he didn't get up there and lie about at least the the way I took it. It's not like he was lying that everything is great all the time and saying, "Oh, you know, it was perfect from day one. We knew this was going to be a fit, and we just wanted to wait till the end of the season just for fun to extend him for three years." It's like, no, they didn't know. They were open minded to learning if Molitor was going to be the right guy, but if they learned at some point along the way that maybe he wasn't, I think they would have gone in another direction. Um, it's interesting that we all speculated at the time that a new ownership or a new baseball ops leadership would come in. There's this mandate from ownership that says, no, you're keeping the manager for the rest of his contract. And then there was almost this air of inevitability. I think Judd was arguing last winter, I came on your guys' show to talk about the Twins and their new direction and what 2017 represents. And he's like, you know, something along the lines of like, oh, I hope you enjoyed your time with Paul Molitor. It's, they're going to go get their own guy. That's just what they do. And I think that's, that's probably pretty popular sentiment at the time that Falvey and Levine were hired. But I think to their credit, instead of making a rash decision and deciding last February that they didn't want Molitor as their manager, they were willing to let things play out all the way through the end of the season. Um, I personally think the choice was kind of taken out of their hands a little bit when you make the playoffs and Molitor will get some steam for AL Manager of the Year. It'd be pretty hard to part ways with that guy. But with that being said, they were open to it all the way through, and once the postseason for the Twins ended, they didn't take too much longer to, to get this move done and have Molitor in place so that they can go now figure out what's next for the rest of the coaching staff and the rest of the organization. So I think you nailed a really good point there in that it wasn't – they got done with the Yankees game, and, and within eight or ten hours, they, so they both – like they went to sleep for a little while, eight to ten hours later, and they're having lunch, and they're negotiating the initial process of whether Paul Molitor is going to come back or not. And it wasn't a super easy decision on either side, it sounds like. Or maybe it was – Paul Molitor having to explain himself and and validate himself because Derek Falvey has the power in that setting. But we're never going to know the full extent of the conversations in those sure. days. But just to, just to play hypothetical, and you and I can make educated guesses here, not having been in the room, but at least having talked to people and have, having observed the season. If you're Paul Molitor and you're looking for assurances about anything on your list from Derek Falvey, what do you think those assurances would be? And on the other side, if you're Derek Falvey and you're trying to figure out if I mean, you have a short list of managerial candidates, I'm sure, why would Paul Molitor be the guy to lead the Twins for the next three years? What would you want assurances from Paul, uh, from Paul Molitor for? And I'll just I'll answer first, and then you can, okay. you, know, you can piggyback off my answer. I would say if I'm Derek Falvey, one of the main things I'd want to know, are we throwing away outs by bunting too often? Are we bunting because it's strategically sound in 2017? Or are we bunting because that's the way that you've always done it in the seventh or eighth innings when you have to score a run and you move a guy over? I'd want to make sure that not only just bunting, but that my in-game strategy is optimal, that that you're maximizing the talent on the team and you're not wasting opportunities to score more runs. And I think they had those conversations. I mean, Derek Falvey told us on our radio show that he doesn't think sacrificing outs is always the best way to go about it, but he would never put a black and white label on something like 
bunting in the seventh race. He said it's completely situational, and and being open to points of view is really important. On Paul Molitor's side, I would want assurances that the front office is going to maintain a healthy balance between data slash analytics and the human element, the things you can't quantify, because those are things that Paul Molitor is able to put on his resume in multiple pages, right? Being able to uh, just just sort of shed his experience as a 20-year Hall of Fame caliber player and or, or being able to take that experience and uh, you know use it to his advantage as a manager, being able to spot tells from opposing pitcher or the tipping pitches, picking up yeah. signs, things that you just wouldn't otherwise be able to quantify. Is there going to be a healthy 50-50, 60-40 balance between analytics and the human element? I'd want to know that if I were a monitor. And uh, I'm guessing they talked about all those things behind closed doors this week. What, would, what do you think? Yeah, if I'm Molitor, I also want to know, am I going to get a hand in hiring this pitching coach, or is it just going to be your decision, none of my experience matters, none of what I'm looking for in a pitching coach matters? Remember, last year would have been a pretty convenient time to move on from Neil Allen, I think, personally. Um, Longtime overseer of the organization has been dismissed in Terry Ryan, Neil Allen Apparently, some of his personal demons resurfaced last year. He had the DUI arrest. And, like, the pitching has been awful for so long, it would have been a really easy time to say, all right, well, new direction. But from the way I sort of am am guessing this went down, Molitor would have stuck his neck out for a guy like Neil Allen, who he called today a late-in-life found friend. And uh, I don't know. There was this personal connection there between Molitor and Neil Allen that that I don't know. Sometimes maybe we don't give enough credit to that, the sort of the relationships. Um, I do think personally that the Twins can find somebody more qualified to teach an entire pitching staff um, in the big leagues on the job, which Falvey mentioned is a big part of this job is, you know, everyone thinks development stops once you get to the big leagues. You're there, you're a big leaguer, you're ready to go. But Falvey's point was kind of that these guys are never finished products. It's always an ongoing development, and sometimes that development isn't always linear. Like we saw with Buxton this year, it very much was not linear development. He went from being an almost unusable hitter, hitting 199 or something like that in late June, to, oh, interesting, after the 4th of July, he's a superstar. What what changed? Well, this can be minor. It can be pitch recognition or tracking or just making better contact. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. But if I'm Molitor, I want to make sure that I'm not excluded from that conversation. I want to make sure that I have assurances beyond this year. So, like, if you came to me and said, here's a one-year deal with a club option for next year and a $100,000 buyout, I would basically look at that as a one-year contract and a second year of being a possible lame duck or, you know, and now – all right, well, if the team takes a step backward next year, you get to blame me, convenient excuse, fire the manager and go get your own new guy that we were talking about last year. So that's one of the things I'd want to know if I was Molitor. The human element thing's interesting that you just brought up. I think Falvey, as much as he's been branded an analytics guy because that's sort of his background, and let's face it, because of his age, is a is a, a big part of that conversation too. People hear a guy rose up through a, major league organization so quickly after getting his economics degree from Trinity College and they just think he's a nerd. 
um, which I'm sure he is a nerd. As and as a fellow nerd, I don't think he would really take you know uh, offense to that. I'm a nerd, but I call him like I see him. I think that he probably geeks out pretty hard, but he doesn't lose sight of the fact. Like it was interesting when you asked him about bunting, Phil. Because he doesn't lose sight of the fact that, uh, gosh, this I, I'm trying to find a way that's not cliche to say this, but that you don't get to just solve the math and then you've solved the season and you've sort of figured everything out. And the the smartest people work. I think in baseball, I think I think the cliche you're looking for there is spreadsheets don't win baseball games. Right. It, yeah, and that's fine, and I agree with that, and I've. Never met a nerd who's contended that spreadsheets win baseball games. So it's a little bit of a straw man argument there. But there is some truth to like what the, the heart of that argument is getting to, which is you can solve as much of this stuff as you want. And, you know, you can have your models for, uh, you know, projecting what a pitcher might do going forward and what the run scoring environment will look like in 2018 and how – whatever any of your players fit into that you can get as nerdy as you want to and there are still elements that we're not very good at fitting into these equations yet and so on the bunting thing there are a couple of things that would be worth pointing out before just dismissing it and saying paul Mollard bunts too much he's not a good strategist Uh, i'll just go through the list here um boy i've gotten off on a tangent but i I think this is important to say No, this is good. I mean, Derek, Derek Falvey basically like he he dove into this a little bit, saying it's not just about the raw bunt totals. You have to put them into different buckets. So sure. yes, yes, agreed. If Byron Buxton's bunting, there's a good chance he's hitting 400 or 500 when he bunts. So I think it's like 400 he hits when he bunts. So that's you're taking away power, but it's an optimal play for Byron Buxton to drop a bunt down and likely get on base. So that's one element is Buxton's speed. I think another thing that gets overlooked is that not every time a Twins player bunts is it called for by Paul Molitor. There is a time this year, I won't throw the player under the bus, but that it was a clear, uh, a, a bad spot to bunt, I'll say. That just like if you understand the math behind run scoring and from your base out state of guy on second, nobody out, three ball count or three one count and something like that and a player drops down a bunt some fans are pulling their hair out saying that Paul Molitor is an idiot and I got to tell you that Paul Molitor behind the scenes is pulling his hair out saying why are you bunting there on your own but Molitor's not going to throw his players under the bus there are some times where the players do it on their own even if it's not an optimal situation you'd be surprised not every player has memorized Tom Tango's run expectancy matrix and recognizes uh, that you're taking away run expectancy with some sacrifice bunt situations. I know that would probably shock you, but yeah. there are there are things that go into it like that that Molitor sort of gets blamed for. He gets too much blame. They also have a coach who's basically tasked with being an in-game strategist, and that's Jeff Pickler. And I'm not saying that he makes decisions on Molitor's behalf, but I can tell you that there is conversation that goes on before, after, and during games between those two guys about what sort of optimal strategy is. So the Twins' roster construction plays into it. Um, decisions that go up, you know, beyond Molitor, beyond just Molitor, that plays into it. There's also this 
idea that I think we have to just get more comfortable with as baseball fans, baseball analysts, that like run expectancy is not what baseball games and World Series are decided with. Like you can make the argument in some cases that lowering your run expectancy, but by making the trade off, having a higher percentage chance of scoring one run is the better play to win that game. The Twins aren't looking for the number one runs scored versus runs allowed. That's not the metric that they're judged by at the end of the year. So my whole point with all of this is we we dove really deep into the weeds, but it's to say that that's how I think Derek Falvey views baseball based on his answers to a lot of questions in his first year, and that's how I think Paul Molitor views baseball. They both have this understanding of the game, they both have this appreciation of the numbers and analytics and how valuable of a tool that can be. But then they also are perfectly comfortable blending the two and knowing, hey, neither one side, if you're calling them opposite sides, neither one is going to have concrete answers. We should just use both of them to try to get to the best strategy for the team. And I think, just to go back and answer your question, I think that's one thing I'd want to be sure would continue if I monitor that, hey, I'm fine to talk about this stuff every single day with you guys, but let's make sure it's an ongoing conversation and that this stuff doesn't just get taken out of my hands because you guys know what you're doing with analytics. Yeah, and on top of everything else, how about just get Paul Molitor some better pitching? Like, just that—that yes. that would help all of this. Just to well, pull it back from the weeds. And how about a going, better number of one starting pitcher and maybe an yeah. eighth inning guy? For God's yeah. sakes! I was going to say I've got a column that I'm kind of scribbling some notes together for. I'll drop it in the next couple of days. I was going to do like kind of a what's next or something like that. Um, I might have to change it up now that uh, so this Paul Molitor news is out there and the Neil Allen news is out there. Um, but anyway, one of the things that I was kind of jotting down is that if I'm Molitor and I'm looking forward, like if somebody challenged me to write the column, what can Molitor do better next year? What, How can he improve as a manager now that he's their guy through the 2020 season? And one of my points, not to be flippant about it, but one of the things that I was going to say is like, honestly, he can be better at managing the bullpen. Like I think he got a little bit better this year, but that's been, and by his own admission, I think if you... If you asked him this question in a moment of honesty, he'd also say, gosh, my first couple of years managing the bullpen was a big challenge. It's not something he really thought about as intimately before becoming a manager, but that's a big part of the modern game is knowing how to manage that bullpen not only in one game but over the course of a week or a homestand or a six-, seven-month season in some cases. I think he would say that that was an area that, that he could get stronger at. But... The second part of that is it's easy to manage a bullpen if you have Aroldis Chapman, Dylan Batances when he's not struggling, Adam Warren, Chad Green, Tommy Canley, David Robertson versus, boy, we hope these couple of rookies in Maple Isle can staple this thing together at the back end. So the second part of getting better at managing a bullpen would be demand better relievers and a better pitching staff overall. I think that'd be a fair expectation for this winter. Yes. Uh, in fact, let's because we have so many things to get to. Uh, we're, we got to get to our Miguel Sano episode at some point. Uh, let's just do a couple more minutes here. I want to bring up one more point about pitching and about the departure of Neil Allen, and then we can uh, you know we can save some of these other topics. And if people have topics for us that they want us to get into, feel free to send us tweets at Derek Wetmore on Twitter at Phil Mackey. You can also you can also email us at uh, our first. 
the first letter of our first name and then our last name. So D Wetmore at 1500ESPN.com or P Mackey at 1500ESPN.com. Uh, but I've heard a lot of people ask, you know, what, what else was Neil Allen supposed to do? I mean, the guy had 35 different pitchers at his disposal this year, and most of them were, let's face it, pretty crappy and not throwing 100 miles an hour like the Yankees. That if, if Neil Allen was the Yankees pitching coach, he'd probably still have a job because all you'd have to do is just ride the coattails of all the guys you just mentioned. I know it's more complex than that, and I'm not trying to minimize the, uh, the importance of major league pitching coach. But I would, I would frame it up like this, the Neil Allen departure. The organization was losing more games than almost any team in baseball since opening up a brand-new ballpark. And the pitching was the main reason why, even before Neil Allen came in here. So new guys come in, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, and they probably have lists of their own pitching people that if they were ever to start you know, running a baseball front office, Derek Falvey had Thad Levine on his list as general manager, as a candidate. So he, uh, Derek Falvey had Daniel Adler on his list. He met Daniel Adler eight years ago, and now he hired Daniel Adler to uh, run the, the research and baseball ops department. So I don't understand if, if you come into an organization and the weak spot has been pitching, I don't think you have an obligation to keep people just for the sake of keeping people and maybe teach them your principles. So it, you know, the Twins were ranked last or were the worst at almost every meaningful measurement you can measure pitchers by the last several years. Why would you want to keep the same people? Even if Neil Allen isn't a terrible pitching coach, your job is to construct from the bottom all the way up a revamped you know, p- pitching process and pitching philosophies. So I guess I would flip it around this way. If you've just taken over an organization of any kind, sports, baseball, non-sports, whatever it may be, and, and your goal is to sort of build from the ground up and get everything aligned with your own viewpoints, you're most likely going to look for someone that you're already familiar with or that you already have a relationship with. So I don't even know if, if, if this was an indictment on Neil Allen necessarily as much as it was Derek Falvey and Thad Levine saying, well, we're not going to get our own manager because we're going to keep Paul. So we probably should bring in somebody from the list of candidates that we had in our heads when we took over because we think that will expedite the process of improving the pitching. Yeah. So I, I think it can be both. Like I don't have a problem with the move. I don't think Neil Allen was the reason why this team had a four-and-a-half ERA the last two years. Sure. But I totally understand why Derek Falvey and Thad Levine would want to bring in their guy, whoever that winds up being this offseason. Sure. One of the things I'm most curious to see over the next couple of years on like a big-picture level is how much of the Indians' pitching success can be attributed – to something Falvey did or something that's repeatable? Like, did they just get lucky with a couple of trades and some player development things broke their way and, you know, you need to have health, so that's a prerequisite? Or is it is it more scientific than that? Is it more like, okay, well, uh, Corey Kluber had a 10% chance of being an ace with the Padres and a 90% chance of being an ace with the Indians. And here are the seven things that they did to ensure that happened. I, I think it's, it's there's probably a little more gray area than that. Um, maybe that we won't even be able to suss out over the next couple of years, but it's something I'm curious about. Like, will they be able to make Kyle Gibson into a solid mid-rotation guy, or is he just who he is? Will they be able to make Boreos from a two or three 
into a one or or at least sustain that level of being a two or a three? Will they be able to continue to get good things out of Irvin Santana as he gets into his mid-30s now? Um, will they be able to find undervalued starters elsewhere or relievers elsewhere and turn them into really valuable commodities on the on the pitching staff? I'm, I don't know that I have any answers for that, but I'll be fascinated to see. And I think the new pitching coach will be a big part of that. And also don't go don't overlook the fact that they're hiring kind of like a like a minor league pitching coordinator. They fired Eric Rasmussen uh, without a lot of fanfare at the end of the season and I think that they're going to try to bring in somebody uh try to make the James Rousen hire of pitching and just based on their recent track record I'd feel good about their ability to find that guy or multiple people to do those sorts of jobs that really help implement the processes throughout the minor leagues, forget about just the major league pitching staff, but throughout the minor leagues where you can draft guys and give them the best chance of succeeding, where you can trade for guys, get them in your system, give them a better chance of succeeding. I don't know where that's going to go, but I'm probably more curious about that than anything to see how this new hire affects the Twins' plans going forward. Yeah, and and, and think about it this way too, Derek. So their pitching is still very flawed, and they're looking for two very important positions to fill to oversee the organizational pitching, right? The Eric Rasmussen position and the Neil Allen position. And they still made the playoffs this year. Right. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing that they have all this work to do in developing better pitching, in finding better pitching, signing it, whatever it may be. And, and yet they still took this huge step forward this season. In fact, I, I'd like to wrap with a great tweet from our buddy, formerly Curse of Punto, on Twitter, Jake DePew, who writes columns for 1500ESPN.com. He said, In one year, Falvey and Levine have transformed the Twins into what many hoped they'd be for years. Innovative, curious, open-minded, and data-driven. Uh, so it's, it's definitely looking that way. You and I are both, you and I disagree on some of the semantics and some of the minutia, but for the most part, I think I can speak for both of us and say that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have done a lot of really good things the last 10 months. Bringing back Paul Molitor, most likely another good thing. And uh, whoever they find as pitching coach, I'm sort of drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm going to trust that they know what they're looking at and that they'll hire someone of high quality. Yes. Yeah, I don't drink Kool-Aid, but I hear what you're saying. There's a lot to like about the Falvey-Levine tandem. Before we close out of here i don't have a stat of the week for you we can bring that back in the next episode but i do have a couple of itunes reviews i wanted to run by you because i don't know if you saw them uh, i i by the way i have at least one stat of the week for after the itunes reviews for you so awesome. let's let's do itunes reviews and then stat of the week yeah okay i just wanted to send some thank yous out my heartfelt gratitude for people who do review it we have more than a hundred reviews on itunes now and most of them are five stars um other than that they're one stars and they Mostly they can't stand me. They said, Mackie's great. Wetmore, get him off the podcast. But we do have a couple of people <laughs> that I wanted to specifically highlight. Uh, Corey Markert called it essential listening for Twins fans and gave it five stars. Each week is full of great insights, stats, and analogies, dot, dot, dot. Lots of analogies. Uh, I like that one. <laughs> C.T. Trace also said, love it all, five stars. Every week I have to listen to this podcast. There isn't a better one for Twins fans. Phil and Derek do a great job even with all of their analogies. Can't wait to see what they have in store for the offseason. So I'm trying to figure out, like, do we have to tone it down on the analogies if we get these iTunes reviews, or is it 
kind of just our one quirk that we get to keep going with. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I, I will make no apologies for the bad metaphors and analogies on this podcast. You know what you're getting. You're going to get very mediocre twins analysis and uh, even more mediocre analogies every time you tune in. So, yes. uh, yeah, but thank you so much to everyone for all those reviews. Those are, those are awesome. And it's cool to read those. And we appreciate all the obscure favorite twins players that you guys yeah. listed <laughs> those are and, great. uh, and keep them coming and, and spread the word, share this podcast with your friends and yeah, keep coming back all off season for sure. I have a stat of the week before we close up this episode. Stat of the week, you'd like let's it. hear it. All right, I believe I brought this up in passing on a recent episode, but just to make it official here, because uh, the, the the playoffs between our last episode and this one, the baseball playoffs went from ten teams to eight, and now dwindling down to four. In case you're wondering what the Twins' objective should be this off season, it's spelled out in. Very plain English with one specific stat. So the Twins rank 29th in the league in strikeouts per nine, which is about where they've ranked since Johan Santana left the organization in 2007 or 2008. The the eight teams that had the highest strikeouts per nine rates in the major leagues are the eight teams that were left standing at the end here. And now some of them are getting bounced, like the Diamondbacks just got bounced and they were sixth. And the Red Sox just got bounced, and they were fifth. But Indians, Astros, Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, Diamondbacks, Nationals, and Cubs, if you're looking for what wins games right now, if you can miss bats as a pitching staff, that is the thing that wins games. And I'm oversimplifying it because I'm not even including defense or offense or anything else that you would be good at as a pitcher. But it's pretty telling that the last eight teams standing are the eight best strikeout pitching staffs in baseball, Derek. Yeah, I wish I remembered who this tweet was. I think it was Carson Shastuli, the Fangraphs uh, writer extraordinaire. Uh, but I hope I'm not misattributing that. Anyway, he said, as we talk about bullpenning and the era of elite relievers sort of almost overtaking the importance of a a deep and strong starting pitching staff. Uh, he just said, fast forward to the future, and it won't be 12 or 13-man pitching staffs. It'll actually be 27-man pitching staffs. They'll only pl- pitch one out apiece. There won't even be batters or bats. Just a 27-out, <laughs> 27 27-reliever 27 mind game. And I, while I'm not sure that we're headed in that direction in baseball, it is pretty fun to see the postseason unfolding with these strikeout artists that are ready to come in in the fourth inning and shut down an opposing offense. I I wonder what it means for the Twins in the immediate future, and I I also wonder what it means for baseball going forward. But that stat of the week, not entirely surprising. I think that the Twins can make some real gains this winter. Yeah, we should do another episode sometime during the playoffs. Uh, Brian Kenny has been all aboard the the hashtag bullpenning train, yeah. which is basically if, you, if you're not starting Corey Kluber or Clayton Kershaw or Carlos Grasco, why put a mediocre starter on the mound with as many off days as you get in the playoffs when you could just start with your best relievers and do a bullpen game? Mm-hmm. And I love the idea, and it's worth flushing out on this podcast at some point in October. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we, we will keep these episodes coming every week this off season. There's so much to talk about. And now that the Molitor domino has fallen, the Twins can kind of turn their attention inward, figure out the rest of their, sta- their staff, and then sort of get planning for free agency, which is just a couple of weeks away here. So we'll keep rolling with the episodes. And 
I really appreciate everybody tuning in each week. It's been a lot of fun to keep this podcast going. Amen. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Tread. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.